if my level was not insanely high or low or... I think your level is usually pretty low. Well, it's because I'm loud. No. Oh, that was rude. <laughs> so, you realize... I just shook my antidepressants. <laughs> oh. And that's how we're starting season two. Shaking my antidepressants? Yeah, that is the perfect way to start this. Oh gosh. Um, but, you know, we started season one with the anecdote of the Subway bread saga. But have oh, you heard yeah. about Subway now? The tuna's not tuna. Okay. <laughs> I did hear about this, but what made me go... I didn't want to listen to that. Is you like Subway Tuna. I really like it, and I had had it the day that I read that article. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. I really like Subway Tuna, and honestly, for me, it's like, I don't care. I know it's just like some variant fish. Subway claims, though, it is yellowfin or bluefin tuna. But I thought they also claimed that it wasn't. They say, the article I read said that it is pure tuna and mayonnaise. Yeah. But the lawsuits claim otherwise. I just don't get how... <laughs> they, like, evidently took, like, went to Subway. Oh, and they took it and did, like, tuna an sandwiches, Went and did, it like, a chemical analysis and said it wasn't tuna. It was some other concoction. But they will not say what it is. Okay, well, see, that bothers me. Like, if the lawsuit's going to be like, ooh, it's something else, tell us what it is. Yeah. So because you, if it's if it is so bad that you feel the need to make a lawsuit about it, mm-hmm. then maybe tell people like I don't know me not to eat tuna sandwiches from Subway. We're gonna get like sued for defamation. You're gonna eat non-tuna on your cake bread. Leave my cake bread alone. <laughs> I get so mad too because the Subway I go to never has the bread I want. I always want honey oat, nine grain honey oat, hippy dippy. You know, cake. that kind of bread. Mm, cake bread. And they never have it. And they're like, well, we have wheat. And I'm like, fine, I guess. It's liter- the honey oat, I think, is literally wheat with oats sprinkled on top. Let me have my oats. It's like the Italian herbs and cheese is white bread. Yeah, well, I don't like the Italian herbs and cheese. I know that's controversial. <laughs> that's most people's favorite. It's also the worst for you. And I think that's part of the reason I'm like, I don't have any desire to have that in my body like that is just it's like white bread to me just straight white bread it is white bread i know but like in general like i don't want white bread that is i mean eating white bread is i I feel like we're polarizing our audience right now (laughs) leave my wonder bread alone it's well okay the only thing i ever had white bread on as a kid was a bologna sandwich Oh yeah, you you can't eat a bologna sandwich on any other bread but white bread. No, you're you're just fooling yourself at it's that point. White bread, mayonnaise, bologna. No. No. Are we about to fight? I think so because it's white bread, mustard, bologna, mayonnaise. Bologna needs mustard. Bologna needs mayonnaise. That's and also you and, and you know I love mayonnaise, but no. And also you got to get the bologna cut at the deli counter, so it's like thick. You can't have the like. Okay, Oscar listen. Meyer. Remember that I was poor. We got the not even the Oscar Mike no field or fields. I don't know if it has an S on it. Or Lando not. Frost. No, we didn't get bar S, which was, would have been worse. But like, you should not be able to buy sixty or six hot dogs for eighty-eight cents. <laughs> it does not. Compute. And how many of those hot dogs have you seen me eat? Too bar many. S hot dogs? I don't know because I don't think I would let you buy them. Oh no, they're good. They're probably not good for you, but they taste good. We are about to fight. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. Aren't, didn't you miss us? <laughs> didn't, didn't you miss this? They didn't miss us talking about food. <laughs> uh, our secondary project. What, food? Yeah. Is, is that our secondary project? I don't know. It feels like we eat enough, so it could be. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've been attacked. You have not been attacked. I have been attacked. After you plotted all weekend to get Krispy Kreme donuts. And I want to really want another case of Krispy Kreme donuts. Or box, not case. Case. Oh my god, how many would be in a case? Um, I'm assuming like 12 boxes. Oh, I was going to say so, 32 donuts because like beer. <laughs> we went two different ways. Um, that just shows who we are as people, I think. So welcome to season two of Creepy Campus, the show where we talk about weird and strange things that happen on college and university campuses. And also food. And also food, evidently. <laughs> um, but for those of you that did not listen to season one or are new to the show, I'm Doug. I'm Jeremy. Yay. <laughs> um, and so we enjoy talking about this because we both work on college campuses. Jeremy is a faculty member. <laughs> Doug hates that so much. Uh, I was like, I feel like I was. it was ingrained in me that staff members do not like faculty members. And I don't get that because I was a staff member for so long and then I became a faculty member. And yep. now that I'm a faculty member, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I think it, I don't see the difference in my mind now. I think it comes from like the stereotype that faculty members seem to only care about the well-being of faculty members, whereas staff members, in my experience, care a little more gen. Like in general, in general about the university, but again, I think it also, and also it makes a difference that I'm like not a typical, like old school, old school nine or ten month tenure track, like because you know a lot of faculty are like we only work from August to May or whatever, Mm -hmm. and I'm over here like no, I have a twelve month contract, I work all year, (laughs) and you like you are not. The only faculty member I know. No, absolutely not. It is very much an old school versus new school type thing. (laughs) It's an old mentality. Yes. Well, it's also the old mentality of like lecture versus discussion and then that whole pedagogical awful conversation. I'm in a pedagogy class right now, so (laughs) my brain is ingrained into that world too. Yeah, I'm still in grad school again. Just so still, everyone knows. Still again. Still again. Still. Well, I mean, if if they were listening last season, they knew that I was in grad school. So True. still there. Grad okay. school round two. You getting closer? <sighs> so close. What? Eleven months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. December. Yeah. <laughs> December I will be terminally degreed. <sighs> that sounds weird. What, to be terminally degreed? Yeah. Well, it's what I have to say because people don't know what an MFA is. I know, but it sounds weird to say term. It sounds it sounds too much like terminally ill. <laughs> That's also probably accurate. <laughs> so one thing that we've decided to like shift gears with mm-hmm. this season is not to pigeonhole ourselves with themes. <laughs> hey, I tried real hard, and it worked at the beginning. It worked at the beginning, and then I I remember literally saying over the break <laughs> that every podcast I've ever listened to like really doesn't do this anymore. <laughs> they try their first time. Yeah, and then it's way too hard. <laughs> well, it's way too hard, and the stories come out similar. Yeah, well, the only podcast that I've been like, oh, yeah, that works for them is Wine and Crime. Mm-hmm. They are able to keep a theme every time, but it's because the three of them go about things very differently. Like, they have the, you know, they have a psychology segment. <laughs> and I also think, you know, we talk a lot about how widespread the idea of like haunted university campuses or weird stuff happening is very common but at the same time like 
a lot of the stories are kind of similar. Well, yeah, that's why I did the whole thing last season on um, urban legends. Things things that everyone claims happen on their college campus that we don't really know where that comes from. We don't right. know where the true story is, mm-hmm. which is kind of where, where a lot of this is. <laughs> yep. So. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have a theme. I haven't been on a mic in so long. <laughs> yeah. I used to go to the radio station uh, like once like... a week. Oh. No. I... Come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm in Zoom calls every day, so I'm on mic every day. Oh, yeah, but that's that's different, I think. I feel like more people have had to listen to themselves talk in the past year Yeah. than ever have before. Yeah, and I think now people, this is why I think that people are now like, oh, you're really good at that. And I'm like, I A, I went to school to be a performer. But B, this is something I do. Like, it's it's not just like go on mic and do it. You've got to have a certain mindset as you go in. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, And now people are like, oh, that's how that works. Yeah. Because they like freeze up on Zoom calls. Oh, yeah, because interview Jeremy is much different than in-person Jeremy. You mean this isn't what I normally sound like? <laughs> you sound more normal now, but like when you go on the radio or you go on morning shows. Oh, that's always a different. That is voice. like a whole nother level. <laughs> radio, Jeremy, and like uh, ad. Oh, I do, when I do all the recorded ads to put on the radio and stuff, it's yeah. always hi, <laughs> <sighs> Jeremy Coyd here, instructor of theater. <laughs> we are so excited to tell you all about our upcoming okay. season. <laughs> I just kept going because you went. You didn't do anything, so I just kept going. I didn't. Oh, so, um, yeah. I guess we should dive in. Someone Snapchatted me about Lady Gaga Oreos. Sorry, <laughs> that can be our food segment next time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we can dive in. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first, or um, I can go first. Fine. Okay, yeah, go first. Um, it is a little <laughs> bit of a longer story, but it's also a true story. Oh, or, mine is also long. It is a portion. Well, first episode. Yeah. Big helping. <laughs> I just scoop of mashed potatoes. That's all I saw in my head when you said big helping. <laughs> yeah, just like a... Like out of an ice cream scoop yeah, in like the cafeteria? The, like the scoop out of, in the cafeteria, yeah. Those are not called ice cream scoops. Those are called dishers, by the way. Everyone at Lindsay Wilson College will know what I mean when I'm like... Was the water potatoes. tower full of mashed potatoes? Well, I wasn't even going to go to the water tower. I was just meaning you can always get mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes are where it's at, man. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, anyway. Um, commonly known as Ohio or OU. Um, Wait, are we talking about the Ohio State University? No, we're or talking about Ohio, Ohio University. University. Okay. Um, so it's commonly known as Ohio, all capitals. Like it is written everywhere on their website as Ohio. That sounds like you're just screaming, Ohio! They kind of are. <laughs> um, so, coming forward, to, known as Ohio or U, it's located in the southeastern Ohio town of Athens. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah. Um, it's like 65 miles southeast of Columbus, so it's like an hour away from the Ohio State University. <laughs> um, but it was founded in 1787. It's actually the oldest public university in Ohio, the first institution of higher education west of the Appalachian Mountains, and the 10th oldest... I, I need you to go back. What did you just say? The first institution of higher education west of the Appalachian Mountains. Appalachian Mountains. We're not getting into that debate right now. We're not getting into that. I wish you all could see my face. Everyone that knows he me knows how... so offended. How Jeremy is triggered. <sighs> if you need to know how to say Appalachian, 
just think I'm going to throw an apple at you. That is an old mnemonic device. Okay. The first institution of higher education was the Appalachian Mountains. Thank you. And the 10th oldest public university in the United States. It's also the first university that was ever chartered by Congress. Okay. George Washington charged Congress to charter institution in southeastern Ohio. Um, the campus is spread out over nearly three square miles. The OU, OU's Athens campus has a regular enrollment of about 20,000 students and a living alumni network of 240,000 people. A living alumni network. So it is a big school. Yeah. Um, it's also regular ranked as one of the top party schools in the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's especially known for its annual Halloween block party and a large fraternity sorority presence. Um, I have some friends that um, know people that work at OU. They talk about, especially on Halloween, their residence life staff just post up around campus. Like they're like all, all in, all hands on deck, and they're just like waiting. Like, I think the RAs just have to stand post in their hallways waiting for things to happen. I would never. I would be so bothered by the, the idea of having to stand around. It's basically like standing guard. <laughs> um, but there's another top ranking OU receives as well. The picturesque campus is consistently ranked not only as one of the most haunted college campuses in America, but just generally as one of the most haunted places in the world. Really? Yep. Um, there's a large... There's a number of different locations on campus that are said to be haunted, including the Brown House, where ghostly children can be heard splashing around in the long-gone swimming pool. Oh. Jefferson Hall is said to have a marble sound, which happens most often on the top floor of the building, and is said to be the sound of someone dropping hundreds, if not thousands, of marbles on the floor above you. Oh, that's what you meant by marble sound. Yeah, it's like, I was trying to figure out what marble sound was. So I guess like was. Like, I don't like that. Yep. Oh, I didn't like that sound either. <laughs> um, Washington Hall is believed to have an entire ghostly girls basketball team lurking inside the building like the whole team yep did an entire team die i don't know <laughs> um and then wilson hall is said to be built on top of a native american burial ground oh, as well as being built in the center of a pentagram formed by five nearby cemeteries which has led to a mysterious death and occurrences in the still in use residence hall wait it's not used no it's still in use Oh, I thought you were saying still unused, like it was sitting abandoned. No, it is still in use, but there is one room that is still actually sealed shut inside the residence hall, and the university has deemed it uninhabitable due to paranormal activity. Oh. But we're not talking about that today. <laughs> How? Why are you going to entice me with that and then pull it away? Because Ohio University is also home to the Ridges. The Ridges. The Ridges is a collection of Victorian buildings on the banks of the Hawking River, that's currently home to classrooms, offices, the university's police station, and a theater. But it wasn't always known as the Ridges. As recently as 1993, the compound was known as the Athens Lunatic Asylum. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Can I shake my Prozac again? (laughs) Uh, um, I do want to take a second and thank author Allison Stein, whose article on Jezebel.com was an amazing resource Mm -hmm. for this part of my story. Um, but opened in 1874 as the Athens Lunatic Asylum, the hospital boasted expansive landscaped grounds, lakes, woods, gardens. It was just like a very calm, picturesque place. Um, it would have, it would later have a flourishing farm and orchard. It was kind of a little community unto itself. Um, if you're familiar with the term Kirkbride Asylum, um, it's a sort of school of design for mental hospitals in the late 1800s, but very Victorian buildings. 
it was a very prescribed method of like separating men and women, separating out different wards, things like that. Um, in, the, in its heyday, the hospital treated thousands of patients. But by the 1970s, the patient population of the asylum had dwindled, as it had in most state mental, mental hospitals. Um, at that time, more general hospitals were starting to admit mental health patients. Um, and those who went to state institutions, like the one in Athens, were often poor, unable to afford private care, were kind of just dumped there by family members, or were considered wards of the state. Yeah, what wait, what year was it, or what time frame was this? Um, right now we're in the 1970s. Okay, yeah, because this is this is something I hear a lot about on a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. especially like true crime podcasts and stuff like this. They they really go into a big uh, section of this because mm-hmm. there there was such a bad period of time where it was like you're even slightly mentally ill. Bye. Yeah. Um. Actually, as a staff member told Allison Stein, who wrote this article, anything could get you sent here back then, mm-hmm. and many patients would just stay and stay. And spend the rest of their lives right in the hospital. Um, one such patient was Margaret Schilling. So patient records are, are sealed and inaccessible to non-family members, but it is at least known that Margaret was a long-term patient, um, and that in December of 1978, which was the harshest winter Ohio had seen in decades, Margaret Schilling disappeared. Like just, just straight up gone. Yes. Um, before her disappearance, Shalyn had gone to the attic. The unused attic, off the end of one of the wings of the hospital, had a peaked roof and exposed rafters. Um, maintenance was ongoing at the time, because the, cent- the asylum was more than a century old at this point, just needed constant upkeep. Um, and the doors to the attic, which were usually closed, might have been propped open by workers who were laying down insulation. It's rumored that Shalyn was playing a game of hide-and-seek with other patients and some of the nurses. Um, and Shelling had gone and hidden, and the nurses got distracted by something else going on and just forgot to go look for her. Oh, no. Um, it's also likely that she saw one of these open attic doors and just went in. Right. And then the door closed and locked behind her. So it's important to note that in the 70s, many patients had grounds privileges. So they could come and go freely during daylight hours. They could wander around the gardens, the woods that surrounded the asylum. Um, if you've ever seen, I don't remember which Halloween movie it is, but they arrive at the asylum and there's just patients milling about. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I'm surprised that you have seen that. I've seen like that scene of it. Oh, okay. No, I've, I've definitely seen those movies. I had them all on VHS as yeah. a kid. <laughs> so, but occasionally patients wouldn't come back on time and they'd have to be like, you know, orderlies and nurses would have to go find them in the woods or in the gardens and bring them back in. Right. Um, Often, according to staff, you could see patients sleeping on or under benches on the asylum grounds. They just felt generally comfortable out and about. Um, So Margaret was reportedly in one of these open wards with permissions to come and go. Um, But she didn't come back that night. So, you know, they were bringing everyone in and they didn't find her. They searched the hospital. They searched the woods. They searched the entire building two, three times called her name she never answered i don't like where this is headed yeah it's headed in a dark place i don't like this um so shilling was not found for six weeks i know that no one can see my eyes but they're not good no um newspaper accounts list her discover as a maintenance worker 
Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> I hit the table. Um, so several employees found her together. Uh, other reports claim several employees found her together. They were sent to look for her again. At this point, they were doing regular searches. Um, but she was found dead in the middle of the attic floor. In the middle of it? Yes. Which had reportedly been searched twice. Yeah, there's a lot of... I'm not going to go into detail in this episode, but I will definitely include a link to this article in our social media post about this episode. Because there's a lot of... There's something fishy going on in this whole story. Well, there was fishy stuff going on in all those asylums at that point, too. Um, There is microfiche missing from the local library with newspaper articles from this time period. Oh, my God. And a library assistant who was helping Allison Stein write this article was like, well, this is probably the most exciting day I've had in a while. Because they had no explanation of why that microfiche was missing. Oh, this is yeah, this is like an episode of Riverdale. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was found dead in the middle of the attic floor, um, naked. Her clothes were stacked neatly on the windowsill nearby. It was at this time early January um, in 1979, one of the coldest and snowiest winters on record. With by the time she was found, it had already snowed 34 inches that month alone. Oh my god. Yep. Um, so because the hospital was state run, the state highway patrol had to be called in to do the official investigation. Um, so it took a while to, you sort of investigate, like secure the scene and move her body. Um, but after the body was moved, something remained. So workers scrubbed at the concrete floor and at a certain point they just gave up. You can see in the stain where they gave up. Oh no. The whiskered marks of a brush just stop. Mid sweep. You can still see it. It's still there 40 years later. The stain, a white chalky image of a torso, head, back, the beginnings of arms and thighs, is still on the concrete floor of the attic, as obvious today as it was in 1979. When they could not, did not, were not able to clean it off. <sighs> okay. So I had to like do some extra digging. I'm like, is that even physically possible? And evidently it is. It's actually not even that uncommon for a decomposing body to leave a stain like that. Um, And it was kind of, so it's human bodies are made up of tissue and fat. Yeah, naturally. Um, When fat decomposes, it goes through a process called saponification. It's how soap is made. Oh, no, I know this. So basically... The decomposition of her body, plus the harsh chemicals that were used in the 70s to try to clean it up, resulted in a chemical reaction that permanently etched the floor. Ew. Yep. I don't like this. Yes. I don't like this because this is going to keep her there. This is going to keep her ghost. Like, I'm sorry. This is going to keep a ghost. We're getting there. Yeah, I know. I figured. Um, so, as with any creepy old building here at college campus, people are bound to want to explore. Um so the history of the ridges is common knowledge among OU students, and many initiations and rites of passage are associated with that area of campus. Like, oh, I dare you spend the night in this building. Or... Oh, God. One of the most outstanding legends has to do with going to the attic to see the stain. Um, but, supposedly, one young student forgot that we look with our eyes and not with our hands. No, you don't touch something that is very clearly a... Oh, God. Yeah. Um, the story says that a young, brave female student touched the stain. After returning to her room later that night, she began to feel unwell. Same. 
Um, it's believed that touching the stain may have invited the spirit of Margaret Schilling to take possession of her. Ultimately, the story says the situation drove the unlucky student to take her own life. So the stain is still there. Um, if you Google it, you can find pictures. I don't know if we're going to post a picture of it. No, but I'm going to Google it because I want to see. It's a little, I mean, it is like, you can tell what it is, but it's not like ultra graphic. So we may or may or may not post it. Oh my God. Yeah. Y'all. We ain't posting this. Yeah. The, no. Uh-uh. It's very clearly a woman's body. So we, I don't like this. Yeah. We will post links to articles about the story of Margaret Schilling. And you're welcome to find this yourself. You're welcome to find yourself. We'll also post some information about the cover-ups. Because it really is a... Something happened here. Yeah, clearly. Um, And we don't know what it is. Oh. Sorry, I'm just very disturbed. Yeah. Is that the only ghost story from it? Like the only time that it's been like a possession or yes. something? Oh, y'all, this is weird. There's a whole weekend weird uh, article about this. There's a lot of articles about this. Also, the building is just terrifying looking. Oh, mm, they were doing lobotomies. Yeah, there were a lot of lobotomies, electroshock ice bath treatments i just listened to and i can't remember i think it was my favorite murder had a whole section on lobotomies last week and oh god i've listened to so much stuff about lobotomies it's disgusting and and you know and what is this this is an office building essentially now it is so this part of campus is houses offices classrooms a theater basically the she is the ghost of the theater there that, that's it <laughs> um they've demolished some of the buildings that were on the asylum grounds because they were you know they were built at a time where we lined everything with, with As asbestos a, asbestos um so they've demolished some of the buildings they have remodeled some of them some of them are just kind of sealed off um but yeah it was just this large campus area that was very close to the university and what else are you gonna do with it so the state just gave it to the school ew oh Okay, well, mine isn't, like, mine's got dark moments, but it's not, like, body stain dark. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, that's rough. <laughs> so, my story this week comes from where I'm getting my Master of Fine Arts at the University of Idaho. Yes, I did use that thing you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> so, before I go into much about the University of Idaho... I want to say that much of this story comes from articles written for the University of Idaho Argonaut, uh, which is University of Idaho student-run newspaper by Lindsay Tromley and Hannah Shirley. There were two different articles written by those two. Isn't an Argonaut a sailor? I don't really know. It's like... Well, I mean, we're the vandals. Yeah, but... So, I don't know. <laughs> but it also came from... Uh, much of this also comes from an article on blotmagazine.com by Bailey Brockett. I want to make sure they get proper uh, recognition because I, I mean a lot of this is their is their stuff that they researched and found. Oh, what it, the Argonauts were a band of heroes in Greek mythology who sailed on the Argo. 
Oh, how did I? I knew that. You should have known that. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, the University of Idaho, U of I or U Idaho, is a public land grant research university in Moscow, Idaho. Idaho, Doug. <laughs> he heard Moscow last night on a, a webinar thing I was watching, and he was like, they have a campus in Russia? <laughs> I, I, okay. <laughs> If you are listening and you just happen to know that there was a town called Moscow in Idaho. No big deal. But if you're you, you're not going to find that, are you? You're not going to realize. Um, so it is the state's land-grant and primary research university and the lead university in the Ohio, Idaho, not Ohio. Whoa, you got me saying that. Uh, Space Grant Consortium. They're kind of a big deal in a lot of ways. Um, but the University of Idaho was the state's sole university for 71 years until 1963. Oh. So it actually, there's a bunch of stuff that you can find online about University of Idaho. But technically, they've been around longer than the state. Mm-hmm. So they were they were a university before the state had its official statehood. statehood. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but we are specifically going to be talking about... One of the halls that has served many purposes over the years. It's always the haunted halls that served many purposes. Yeah, well, because, duh. <laughs> yeah. But we're talking about Rydenball, I think is how you say it. Rydenball Hall. Oof. And it's a very old building, and it's not at all what it was when it was first built. Which, what did I say in the first like episode? Stop renovating, renovating old buildings, <laughs> yeah. Like if you if they're even remotely haunted, do not do not do it. <laughs> Gonna piss every ghost off. Every ghost. Um, so the Board of Regents at the University of Idaho authorized the construction of Rydenbaugh Hall as the first women's dormitory on campus. It was completed in 1901 at a cost of seventeen thousand dollars. 1901 money. I don't have the the calculator in front of me to tell you how much that would have been. Um, but it is the oldest extant building on the campus. It was designed by architect Willis A. Ritchie of Spokane, who also designed the Spokane County Courthouse. So there's a lot of, like, if you look at pictures of this building, it has a very specific architecture. The building used stone that was quarried in Lataw County for the exterior walls, and it was also used as a space for domestic science classes until 1927, when it became a men's dormitory. So let's keep track here. Women's dormitory. Mm-hmm. Science building. Science building, men's dormitory. Men's dormitory. Then the building was later used for pra- music practice rooms and currently houses the art and architecture gallery. That's where it currently sits. That is five different uses. That is a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff for this. Um, I think it's also important because of the where we're going with the story to note that this sits on land that was taken from the Nez Pierce people. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of tie with some of the not really knowing what's going on in the stories. Uh, to that idea of colonizing, essentially. So that is something that we can come back to in a minute. But Rydenbaugh Hall was the first U of I campus structure to be named after a person as well. Okay. So it's the first time we're seeing that. It was dedicated to the young young women of Idaho in honor of Mary E. Rydenbaugh of Boise, who was the vice president of the UI Board of Regents, and served as a regent from 1901 to 1907. So it is on the National Register of Historic Places. That took a lot of effort from you to say. What in the world? 
So we know all of this stuff, right? It's an old building. It served many purposes. It's on stolen land. There's a whole thing. Man, this has like... The potential to be something awful. Right. But what's weird about it is we we just hear of random things. Mm-hmm. And all of those things tie around into different stuff. But so the Rydenball 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 Hall was paranormally investigated in 1992 by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh no. And they found hints that the building was haunted. Now, Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hauntings. Right? For anyone who doesn't know, like you probably know Annabelle, the haunted doll, the the conjuring, uh, Amityville Horror. They were real. That was where their like first big famous thing was was Mm -hmm. from Amityville Horror. Um, But Ed was a self-taught and self-proclaimed demonologist, author, and lecturer. And Lorraine professed to be clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. So they traveled the country doing this type of work. Right. And I think it was really cool to see that they were involved in talking about this haunting in Rydenball. So they entered a specific room in the building. Room 225. Okay. And Lorraine said that she encountered a force. And this is what's a little weird here. She said, my initial impression of a, was that of a young girl, student age, probably in her 20s. She described the girl as wearing clothes from the 1930s with her hair pulled back in a bun. And because of this, there's a rumor that has floated around and Warren like added to this. Um, that a woman hung herself in room 225 during the 1930s. We have no proof of that. Okay. But because of this one investigation, this like short-lived moment in the in the university's history with Ed and Lorraine Warren, now there's this rumor. Mm-hmm. But the haunting part doesn't go away. And there's other hauntings that we find, like that of Dr. El Gustavo Castro Ramirez, who is a professor of vocal coaching and collaborative pianist at University of Idaho. Now, he had an office in Rydenbaugh, and he had a strange situation, not quite as weird as, like, seeing a girl. (laughs) He said, a couple years ago, I was working late in my office, and I'd left my Bluetooth speaker on. Also, turn your Bluetooth speakers off, guys. (laughs) Power on. Like, I'm just thinking of the cheap Bluetooth speaker. Um, But he said, I wasn't playing any music. So suddenly it started playing some super loud rap music and it scared me. Now, Castro Ramirez stated that it was the most random and unexpected thing and he had no explanation for it other than maybe the cleaning crew that works in the building late at night had one of their devices that had connected to the speaker. Mm -hmm. But he's not quite sure. And he says that since then, uh, I don't leave my Bluetooth speaker on anymore. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but technology, in all these stories that we see technology connects in a weird way to this idea of oh yeah it's the idea of energy right uh, the the idea of paranormal influence Mm -hmm. um so let's see there's another haunting oh yeah a student said that i've definitely been practicing there late at night and always felt a presence of some sort like someone was just watching what i'm doing the room spontaneously has gotten colder as well and that's happened to multiple people like that specific room 
Yeah. Well, in the building in general, but mm-hmm. like that room has a big influence on this. So uh, Lydia Byers is a member of the. <laughs> it's either Palouse or Palusi. P A L O U S E. Palouse? I don't know. Uh, Paranormal Society in Moscow, Idaho. And she said there's a chance that the room did get colder. She said if spirits want to manifest, they take energy from the temperature of the room. So what you were just saying about spirits, energy, paranormal, they're taking that heat from the room to exist. Mm -hmm. And she said there's not been any paranormal investigation since that 1992 investigation with Ed and Lorraine Warren, but Byers has said that as far as she knew, no one died in that building. Which is where I come back to that idea of it being Native American land. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lydia said that it is quite possible that something is lingering in the building. So if no one died in the building, it doesn't mean that something didn't happen on the land beforehand. Or maybe someone did contact the spirit world and brought something through. Ouija boards. Stop it. Or maybe it was a student who died. In which case, they were drawn to the place where they have the best memories. So we have like some ideas there that mm-hmm. could have been part of this. So many other rumors have circulated the student body. And there's a sophomore on campus who said he had heard pianos play in the vents, doors slamming and shutting, and some singing. Randomly, when there was no one else supposedly in the building. Right. He said that he believes that Reidenbaugh is haunted from an experience he had while practicing in the building last semester. He said, I was practicing around 11 p.m. We all do that. (laughs) The look on your face. Art students do that. (laughs) Um, I practiced with the lights on for about an hour before I memorized the piece, and then I'll turn the lights off and play in the dark. Smart. You're not tempted to look for the music. Oh, okay. And not tempted to look at your fingers. So, I had it closed and the door just opened. I walked outside, looked around, and no one was there. Normal, right? You're alone. Fine. Turn the light off. Play your music. (laughs) So, Byers said that it is quite possible that students have experienced these weird things. Um, Let's see. Wait, what am I trying to say? I feel like I missed a piece in my brain, but basically he oh, thought he missed any piece of your it, brain. Oh well, he he said he thought he saw or heard something while mm-hmm. he was doing that. Um, and Byers, because they, are, she's a paranormal like. I don't want to know. I don't want to say investigator if that's not the accurate term, but like sensitive. Um, well, an expert in that field mm-hmm. said that it's possible that they could see people out of the corner of their eye, like shadow people. Um, and some psychologists say it's your brain trying to fill in blanks. Mm-hmm. So there's fighting back and forth over that. But um, is there a chance that they heard someone? Sure. Just because nobody died in the building and I can't find any solid evidence, just rumors. And the rumors are not solid. They definitely make for great ghost stories. <laughs> Which true. is true. Yep. Um, and Byers has admittedly not investigated Reidenbaugh due to permission from the university. She said she would love to investigate Reidenbaugh at night, but in order to do a solid investigating, she really needs to know the name of the woman who died. Yep. So if someone did kill themselves there, I'd love to have a name. You could take a guess at the name without knowing the name. You don't know if you're calling for, I love these names, she like just rolls off, Ruth Betsy or Dominique. (laughs) 
that's the only reason I'd like to know the history of it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I can go to the basement and pull out my spirit box and be happy. Oh, spirit boxes. <laughs> Doug hates spirit boxes. They're like, you're going to hear something, but it's just noise. But you don't know that. You don't know if it's just noise or if it's exactly. being put together. It's just, a. if you don't know what a spirit box is, it's a, basically it's a radio receiver. And it scans every second. It scans every second. So it will just. It, you just get clips of different... It's like if you turn the radio dial in your car really quickly. You just get different clips of things. And so it, the idea is that a spirit can interact with it and use those clips to communicate with you. Right. So basically, that's that's the whole idea right now is that people still believe it's haunted. Um, and Byers even says it just takes willingness to sit in a dark room and be scared. But at the same time, be willing to ask those questions. Is anybody there? Is a window open? So buyers and students think that it'll be a good idea to paranormally investigate when the time is right. I want to know what happens in that building. I need, I've got some friends right, that live on campus or live mm-hmm. near campus. And I really want to ask them to go to that building. Oh my they don't spend any time there. The only buildings I hear about, as a, a distance student or a uh, shoop and the theater. So I'm just like, someone go to this building. I need to know if it's haunted. Oh my God. <laughs> Zoom ghost haunt. Ghost hunts. <laughs> oh my God. If I could get KT to go and, and, and <laughs> ghost hunt, she probably would not do that. Oh <laughs> but yeah, that is the story of room 225 and the general building that has no real reason to be haunted, but kind of is. And I'm sorry, I just, I can't discredit if Ed and Lorraine Warren were like, yeah, it's kind of haunted. Yeah. I, I just can't discredit that. That There's no way. Yeah, because there's lots of stories of them like going to places that were supposedly very haunted and be like, no, there's nothing here. Right. Because I think a lot of people will think, oh, well, they would say everything's haunted. But no, that discredits them to a degree. Exactly. And, and I read a comment on <laughs> one of these articles in the Argonaut. There's a there's a comment that was put up to in 2018 when this was published. It should also be stated that the Warrens saw demons literally everywhere they went. They weren't any more than scammers, but that's not true. Right. Like they went plenty of places and said, "Nah. Nah, fam. Nah, nah fam, there's nothing here." <laughs> <laughs> and so I I don't know, I can't discredit anything that Ed and Lorraine Warren have said mm-hmm. because I don't know. And because they have a history of finding things that are kind of real kind of real and kind of intense like i'm sorry the museum still has like the annabelle doll it locked in a glass case locked in a glass case you're not supposed to touch it watch annabelle 2 you'll get real okay also but you know annabelle is a a raggedy raggedy ann it is not like a porcelain doll or anything it's a raggedy ann well and i think that if i read that article correctly back when that came out the first annabelle they had to make it a different doll because the raggedy ann company whoever owns that was like no 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 no. that's still a thing do they still make those yeah i think so oh or or maybe i'm just nuts but but also i always wonder like is there also a haunted raggedy andy out there i mean maybe well okay there's a one of the movies has like the history of the raggedy ann doll of of annabelle uh let's see raggedy ann well they came from stories did they raggedy ann is a character created by american writer johnny gruel 
um, and appeared in a series of books he wrote and illustrated for young children. Raggedy Ann is also a red doll with red a rag doll with red yarn for hair and a triangle nose. Mm-hmm. It's like someone owns the license to make those. Yeah, somebody has the like doll manufacturers. Yeah, it's been owned by multiple. The present license is owned by Aurora World Inc. That's who owns it now. But anyway. Anyway, anyway so you excited for season two? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, I'm now I'm on Annabelle and I, I need to stop doing that kind of research. Don't you just close my computer? <laughs> Slowly close his laptop. <sighs> but yeah, we're excited for season two. Yeah, send us your stories. Yeah, let's don't talk don't ghosties. make us let's, let's talk ghosties. Um, but yeah, send us stories at creepycampuspodcast at gmail dot com. I thought it was. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, or you can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram at creepycampuspod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, is there another one? <laughs> nope. I said them both, Twitter and Instagram. Oh, y'all, I'm crazy. I have, I have to do grades today. Yeah. And also, a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, go to grad school, they said it'll be fun, they said. Go to grad school once, they said. It'll be fun, they said. <laughs> but when you decided to go for a second time, that's your own. that's your own fault. Well, it's the same as going back to get a PhD. No. The MFA is. Okay, yeah. Not if I was getting like a second like MA. True. That would be silly. <laughs> I mean, you're silly in general, so. Yeah. No, this is essentially the PhD of my field. <laughs> so I'm just like, right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next week. Goodbye. Bye.